1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game and Poor Kyle, man, he he had that second baby and he just can't run the table and do four in a row anymore. So he had to cut out a little early. I'm going to fly solo, but that's okay. We got plenty of good stuff we can talk about with our guest, Mr. Joe Artie Sear from Smart Pricing Table. But I got to tell you, we are going to talk about something I think every single producer agent out there deals with, and that's Proposals. How do you make your proposals more recognizable? How do you make them more dynamic? How do you close more business as a result of that? And you've heard us talk about the tools and tricks that we use here at Florida Risk Partners and inside a killing commercial with video proposals and other things. However, I have a feeling we're going to go to a completely different level with Joe. So Joe's got background. He had a Web development firm for 12 years and then now is involved in smart pricing table and talked about proposals and how he makes those. I don't know if he said sexy or not, but I'm going to say that and get people to pay attention to a man. So before we get cranked up into the meat of this, why don't you just sort of give everybody your background, Joe, and how you got to where you're at? And then we're going to have a conversation around differentiating ourselves at the point of sale through the effective use of proposals. Let's do
2: it. And hey, thanks for having me, David. My pleasure. A little bit of background. Um, I ran my own, uh, I ran a web design agency for about 12 years. My biggest client was uh, Bluetooth.com. We did a new website for them. And uh, I actually, you know, I love being on sales related podcasts because I grew up in sales. I, I, you know, probably about 10 years ago, if you would have said, Joe, what is the difference between sales and marketing? I would have struggled. And it's such an insane question now. Like what? (laughs) What? Of course, you know, Um, but anyhow, uh, we, uh, you know, I I grew up with my agency, learned so much about business, eventually sold it to a key employee. Um, But we had to write a lot of proposals. And um, I was using some big box supplier software, and I'm happy with it. And so we decided to create our own in-house solution. We're going to start small, um, but it did so well, uh, just killed it with the software. Uh, that about four years later, I decided to take it to the market and it's smart pricing table. Uh, that's what I do full-time today and just love uh, writing or love, love proposal, t- talking about proposals and how to do it well because a lot of people hate it.
1: <laughs> so what did you see that made you realize there was a need for your product in the marketplace?
2: Yeah, well, the 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 big thing that I struggled with was just one feature. It was uh, the scope of work table or the pricing table uh, that was included in this big box supplier uh, software. And I wanted to be able to, instead of like recreate the wheel all the time, I wanted to be able to modularize our offering. So the different things that we sell, sold um, and assemble things quickly. I'm really big into efficiency. I'm a a software developer by trade. um, And... I, I just couldn't do that with the software. It would take you know a minute to load a proposal. Um, it, it, the pricing table just got out of control. Um, and I was stumbling onto this concept. So the concept is productizing. If you productize your offering, there's all these amazing benefits that happen, which I'm sure we'll talk about plenty of them. Um, but that was the main thing. I wanted a solid catalog and it didn't give me what I needed.
1: So talk about that a little bit. When it, when you talk about productizing your offering, what does that even mean?
2: Yeah. So instead of just grabbing an old proposal, you know, a lot, a lot of folks will do they'll grab an old proposal, they'll copy and paste it, tweak it, adjust it, whatever, whatever. Um, the idea is to stop and slow down and start thinking of your offering, what you offer to the market in a in a modular way and and define each of them okay so i'll give you an example since um i'm from the web marketing world imagine that you sell to your customers social media management now david i can say you know david i'll I'll manage your facebook page for $1000 a month and i'll do new posts and all that kind of stuff i could just simply say that okay that that's a real a basic way to do it Product would be thinking through that particular offering and giving it flesh, like really creating a robust, reusable thing. So, for instance, uh, this might look like, um, if, if I were looking at this line item, I might say, um, uh, manage Facebook page and produce, uh, five, uh, to six per, uh, posts per month. Okay. Then I would have a bulleted list and I'd be specific about what's included. Um, Then I might put some, maybe some limitations, and then I put some additional upsells. Maybe I might allow you, David, to kind of you know add some additional monthly posts, or maybe you want me uh, to engage with your 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 uh, comments, right? Because you need help, you're coming to me. So I have I have an upsell that allows you, you know, I can uh, engage up to fifty comments per month, that kind of thing. Okay, so so the idea is stop, slow down for a moment, um, and figure out what do we actually sell define it in a comprehensive way so that i can save it in a catalog and use it over and over and over and again so many wonderful surprises when you do that
1: yeah so this is dynamic right this is done online this isn't i'm coming in and i'm handing you a paper proposal this is something Somebody has the ability to open, and I would imagine, with my feeble mind, that there's ability to expand and collapse explanations and boxes so that people can drill down further to make sure they understand. Maybe it's something that's really straightforward and they don't have to drill down. Why waste time reading that if you don't have to? and you feel completely comfortable. But then you get down to the next thing, like you said, well, they're going to manage my Facebook page, but what's that really mean? Like, what am I really getting for my money? So they can expand that and read it and understand it. What I like about what you're saying is you then can make your product smarter because you're able to, I would imagine, since it is dynamic, get click uh, data that shows what sections are more often being expanded or even on the other side, skipped over so that you can make sure that you don't need to make that any more robust. And I don't know, like if from my perspective, I don't know how much this is all inside of, you know, kind of like an iframe would be where if you click a link, even if you go somewhere else, it's going to keep you inside that part of the website and you're not going to leave from there. Or if you have external links and it just opens in a new tab or something like that. But even then... I would think just the amount of data you can get about how a proposal is consumed has to be incredible.
2: Yeah, it it is. And, you know, there's lots of different solutions on the market, you know, where, where our software really hits it hard is building that catalog. That's, that's the thing that we do really, really well. And uh, because we're so focused on uh, your, your pricing table, your scope of work, We also have analytics on lower level interaction. So David, if I were to send you a proposal, um, one of the line items you might see in it is project kickoff call. Well, if you click on that, we're actually going to log that you did. So I'll I'll know that you clicked on that. And then I have an upsell inside of that line item called uh, where it says on-site meeting. If you want me to come to your office, it's an additional, say, $350 a month. Well, the system will log that you opened it. It'll log that you clicked on that. If you change any quantities, it will log that. And getting a lower level data about how your prospect is interacting can be so helpful from a sales perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I look at it even as you're talking, trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like inside the insurance world? And I could see it being something as simple as, sending an auto proposal over to a client. and then when they get to the deductible area, if they want to expand out, they can get that expansion that says, you know explains what the deductible is, how it works or whatever else, and then shows that it's currently set to a value of five hundred dollars, but then give an option. This is what it would look like if you did it at 250. this is what it would look like if you did it at a thousand. I guess my question is, is that dynamic? And I'm assuming because you have a smart pricing table that it is, that it, it changes the dollar figure of the proposal in real time? Or is that something that you guys have to then go back and resend?
2: Yeah. Well, there's lots of versatility with our system in particular. So you can you can have um, individual line items that are upsells, and you can have upsells inside of line items. So you could exactly what you described. You could Uh, define a line item like that. And then maybe they choose some additional coverage and that has a fixed dollar amount. It then adjusts the line item and adjusts the total price. And I think that's just, that's so, I mean, there are so many proposals that are still going out in paper or as a PDF. I mean, to have an interactive and I'll, I'll say sexy, David, sexy looking proposal, um can really make a huge difference when you you know you're 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 a client your prospect is bringing up three and yours is just interactive and so much more helpful
1: yeah i mean i think the biggest advancement that has been made well there's a couple of them in the insurance industry and we are one of the oldest industries on the face of the earth and we're the slowest to adapt to change it's it's insane for as right. much money as you can make in the insurance industry, you would think we would be leading the world in technology, and yet we aren't. Like, we don't invest nearly what we should. Taking proposals online was the first piece. Adding video to that is something that went to a completely different level because now, you know, from our standpoint, that really opens a lot of versatility. It's tough, man, depending on what the concept is you're trying to explain. And we did talk about this a little bit in the last episode we recorded last hour, you know, you can use chat GPT to water some stuff down to get it to a sixth grade reading level at this point, you know, it'll do that hard work for you. But at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to be able to tell a story or explain. So video has worked out really well. The other thing that it's allowed us to do is take some of that um, software that's used specifically for proposals and make it part of the submission process to underwriting. So you don't know this about me because I haven't really told you much at all about what I do, but you know, my agency specializes in accounts that are in the middle market, specifically commercial and if they have workers comp problems, even better. That's right. that's who we like to target. And so my average client is going to spend about a quarter million dollars a year on their insurance. Well, it used to be that you put on a suit and a tie and you'd go over and you'd present to that person in person you would invade their day we wouldn't feel we were invading their day but that's exactly what we were doing right. and instead of taking the hour that you ask for it's a bare minimum hour and a half cuz you got 15 minutes of warm up 15 minutes of cool down and in many cases could end up being 2 hours and when covid came it changed the game man it changed everything dramatically now people are more receptive to getting information as long as they get their questions answered in a reasonable amount of time or in real time to just not skipping that, just give me, give me what your deal is, send it to me. And so, you know, I think that's part of it, but then taking it and making it part of the submission process to underwriting is completely different because again, we deal with problem workers comp accounts. Now I can actually take video and show the underwriter using the same proposal format and just tweaking it to be a message to underwriting as opposed to actually being a proposal of insurance to, to a client. I think that's huge. The other thing is, you know, part of the problem with insurance agents is they own, they sell insurance. Like that's what that's how they get paid, so that's what they do. They don't take the time to explain risk, cost of risk, total cost of risk, all of these concepts to their clients. The average prospect that you meet with has no clue they have an insurance industry underwriting marketplace reputation. They have no idea. They right. just think that because they've shopped on price for the last, you know, decade and every year the broker goes out and goes to 20 different insurance company underwriters to try and get the best deal, they don't understand that 19 of those people are going to get pissed off after about three or four years of quoting the same piece of business they're never going to get, which means they're just going to not look at it, decline it, and send it back without ever even giving them a realistic shot after a couple of years of being told no. Problem is our market is cyclical. And at some point, you're going to need that underwriter. And if you have a bad reputation in the marketplace the day that comes, you need them. They're not going to be there for you. So, the more we can do to include underwriting and give them the most accurate description of what that risk profile is, improves the underwriting result, which could be broader coverage or lower pricing. But in the end, your prospect wins using that technology for that too. The thing that I really like, though, when you move that when you, when you move that um, proposal software in general, any of it. If you can, if you move it over in the way that ours works, not giving away any kind of secret sauce here, but the way that it works is it's the same web address, but the differentiator is for you to see your proposal. You log in with your email address. That's it, right? You have a unique email address. You go to the same web address as everybody else. But when you put your email in, now you can get your proposal. That's beautiful because it allowed us to automate inside HubSpot with text and email delivery both. So now, We're not just getting that information out, but we're getting it across multiple platforms and our prospects understand they don't need to stop everything they're doing and consume that right now. It might be 9 o'clock tonight. It might be 1 o'clock in the morning. Who are we to tell people when they should be receiving the information that they asked us to provide to them? Whatever's right. best for that prospect, when they don't have any kind of pollution in their head and they can give me their undivided attention, is exactly when I want them to do it. And it right. may not be one o'clock Thursday in their conference room. Yeah,
2: and I think I think that's where video is so helpful, David. I, I'm a big fan of Loom. Uh, I'll create, you know, I might have a customer that has a question um, and they're not available. I, being able to just record something really quickly. And then they can watch it whenever, and I and you know I get the open receipts. It's a lot of times it's it's strange hours, um, but it's really effective, right? Versus having to schedule a meeting uh, is really going to slow down the process. You made me think of kind of a good example too of how productizing your offering can work really well with insurance. For example, I'm very familiar with uh, Eno Insurance and having a a business for a long time and uh, always having insurance policies. One of the things that could be really valuable as far as productizing though is imagine if you sold e insurance, you defined it, you spelt out what's included, and then you had a video, David, that you embedded right inside of a line item, right? Talk about interactivity inside of a proposal, a video right inside of a line item that they can listen to and understand what e insurance is and what it's not, right? So doing, doing a lot of that and then continue to build out a library, a catalog, um, there's so many, so many benefits there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, again, I mean, using E and O as an example, just policy form. You know, the average person doesn't know the difference between claims made and occurrence, let alone the difference between claims made and occurrence and claims made versus claims made and claims made and reported. You're not you going to ask me, right? No, I'm not going to ask you. But I mean, <laughs> these are these are things in a proposal that in the event that that person needed their insurance would be material information that many times they're just buying it and had no clue. Right.
2: Yeah, yeah. Having descriptions that boil it down, right? That are clear to the average uh, person needing insurance is so helpful. I mean, I, I remember the day I discovered that my normal business policy didn't include Eno at all. I'd gone for years thinking that, Hey, if something went wrong with my web design agency and we messed up someone's website, I would have coverage, you know, five years in talk to my insurance company, I had no, I had no freaking clue. Right. Because no one had, I, I'd never been presented it in a a very straightforward, simple fashion for me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you decided you were going to solve a problem that a lot of people probably didn't even realize existed. So kudos to you for even you know picking up on the fact that this needed to be modified and adjusted to bring it into the 21st century. What were the initial responses like when you started rolling out? your, your proposal software to people for the first time. And I'm not necessarily talking about your clients. I'm talking, you know, I'm sure if you're like me, this was something done in a sandbox environment inside of your agency. I right. you started using it there first and got proof of concept. What was it like that made you decide, you know what, I think I'm going to go ahead and take this next step. Let's, let's make this available to other people. That's the first part of the question. Then the other part is why would you want to, if it was a competitive advantage for you?
2: Yeah. I I uh, I think when we decided to go on the journey, there were so many discoveries. Um, and, and actually, one of them uh, one of them is the the fact that when you create a catalog, you can actually have someone else create proposals for you, uh, which is a really really helpful game changer. Um, but as far as like some of the discoveries we found uh, with uh, customer impressions and that kind of stuff. Um, one one was customers, we found that customers loved control. When we gave them a degree of optionality, it felt like they had um they were involved in the architecting of the project or the scope or whatever we were offering, right? Um they they could they could turn things off, they could turn things on, they could like have they have a running total of their price. Um, and we heard from customers over and over that it was a completely different format um, than the static proposals they would often get. Another one was uh, back and forth, a huge, huge improvement. When when you have um, some optionality, all of a sudden you don't have to have a bunch of different questions. A lot of times I would, if a customer wanted something, but they were a bit on the fence, I might give them option A and B just for them to consider and they could decide. I can then I can get out the door. I don't have to get have them get back to me. I can just uh, put the multiple options and throw it over their way.
1: So talk to me about how your proposal software is integrated with your CRM. You're a sharp dude. I gotta figure there's a way that you're getting metrics off of your proposal software what What does that look like? I mean, how reliant are you on your CRM to measure the activity from? proposals when you send them out. And I think the other thing that's probably a fair question, just because agents are probably running around thinking, Hey, this isn't really a problem for me and my agency only because if you're an agency like mine, man, we might do a hundred proposals in an entire year, just because of the size of the account, what kind of velocity are you looking at? Who's like, who does this solve the problem for the best?
2: Yeah, a lot. Of, a lot of my customers create anywhere from five to twenty proposals a month. You know, I, and and the nice thing about it, my understanding of commercial insurance is because you're doing less quotes, they're bigger and they matter more, right? Should, yeah, so, no, that's
1: a fair. That's a fair
2: statement. Yeah, doing doing the legwork so that um, it's the highest quality. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars for one particular prospect. I mean, that that's like you, you know a luxury real estate agent. You know, really having the polish, right, picking them up in the nice car, um, all these different uh, you know finishing touches that you wouldn't ne- necessarily get in you know normal real estate transactions. Um, so I, I think I think that uh, volume is great um, uh, for the the kind of problem I was looking to solve.
1: Yeah, I just I think that there's such a need and there's just not there's not a ton of players in this space in our industry right now. That's why I was intrigued when uh, we had the opportunity to have you come on, because I'm always looking for the next way for us to make ourselves stand out a little, just a little bit more. You know, I'm notorious for saying we have to make ourselves uncommon in a common environment. When you look at insurance, there's nothing more vanilla, really. You know, it's typically an old white guy in a suit that's going to give you a bunch of quotes and you're going to pick the cheapest one. Well, that's not really what the industry looks like, but that's the perception. Most of the time, you know, which we start bringing younger blood in and bringing the generations, like my oldest son's 20, he's in the agency at this point. I have two options. I could either not listen to anything he says, or I could listen to everything he says, absorb it with a sponge and figure out how to make it benefit me and my business moving forward. I choose to do the latter by renting the UFC fights. Every time there's a pay-per-view and inviting all his friends to come over And then I just sit and watch the fights with him and listen to them talk. And that tells me everything I need to know about how his generation thinks. And I'll tell you, my generation has been sleeping on them because they're far more intelligent than what I think we give them credit for. But, you know, it's always interesting to see because there is a part of this industry that needs to remain old school. It just has to because of. How you how you approach the business, how you document certain things, right. and all of that. That's why agency management systems still, as much as I love, um, you know, the people at Hawksoft who provide our agency management system. Those AMSs are just never going to have a user interface that's as slick as what a Salesforce or, or a HubSpot, for that matter, is. It's just not there. Right. So, um, you know, I, I do think it's interesting that there's such a need there. Um, man, I mean, I just think sky's the limit for you in in this industry. I understand that you you typically working with digital marketing agencies or SaaS companies or whatever, but you're talking about an industry that's heavily reliant on proposals, heavily. Right, right. And we're in the hardest market we've ever been in. You know, this is the hardest market I have ever seen as an insurance agent. I got to have something to make me stand out and answer people's questions because we're at a point right now where we may go to deliver a renewal and when that renewal comes in it's a 40 50 i've seen 100 and 200% increases over last year just because of how wonky the insurance marketplace is right now right. so if i had a way to explain away all of the all of those things and get my res, my recommendations out in an articulate manner like that's saving me a ton of time i understand that the first time you have to build a proposal like this it's going to take you time, and I would imagine also with the modular approach to it that you're literally, you know, if it's a cu- if it's a question about property insurance, that
2: right. same
1: question's probably going to come up again and again. Right. So there's shortcuts. You're not going to go back and have to retype that answer right. every single time. Yep. I, I I give my team the advice we need to slow down to speed up because right. that's really what happens. And that sounds to me a lot like what. You, decide, you discovered you, you basically said the same thing but in different words. so maybe
2: talk about that just for a little bit yeah I I, I love the idea of building momentum so so each time you're creating a proposal you're uh, you're asking new questions uh, a lot of questions you've already answered but you're asking some new questions and you're always building your system um and and uh, you'll have a new a new prospect with a different scenario. And different ideas that you didn't have to deal with before. Well, take a moment, slow down to speed up, right? Slow down and create a new line item or a new and some new content that makes it clear what that offering is. Um, update your templates, update your your uh, your catalog, and then the next time you don't have to deal with that in the same uh, depth, right? It can be a lot lot more straightforward. Um, I got to a point where, you know, we were creating uh, $30,000, $40,000, $50,000 proposals in generally 30, 40 minutes, about a, about a minute per grand, right? And it was just the more time that we continued to invest in our system, uh, the quicker uh, the, the process went. So
1: results. Talk a little bit about the results you saw in your firm. You did this for your digital agency first. What did that look like when you when you moved this direction?
2: Well, first it allowed me to have a full-time sales guy. That was a really big deal. I think a lot of CEOs, a lot of business owners, they get nervous uh, about hiring someone to do sales and do proposals because they're afraid that they're, there's a lot on the line, right? Well, because I because I had a catalog, all of a sudden my sales guy could start assembling things. And I would I would still approve it, right? Um I would still look over it but but it was probably about a tenth of the time that I would spend previously. And it, we actually it went it went so well David that after a, a couple years of doing this way I actually grew grew weary of approving things and I hardly even checked. Because the more you're building your system, the more you're investing in your this reusable infrastructure, the less questions come up, the less risk comes up because You've you've uh, you've thought through so many angles, so many the finer points of things. Um, I also found, you know, I found our customers absolutely loved interactivity. I was able to remove myself almost entirely from the sales process. We had to make a lot of lot of money to break even, even let alone be profitable. I mean, because we I had a, a salesperson and the catalog, um, that was a, a huge benefit of that. And we actually grew to be one of the highest rated agencies on uh, Clutch. I know your uh, listeners are more insurance folks, but in the internet marketing world, um, Clutch is kind of the the gold standard of of sorts. And I think so much of that, so much of our reputation uh, came from client expectation management and writing solid proposals.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting because... So much of what we do focuses on coverage and this is what this line item, you know, this line of coverage does in the event that you have an issue, but I don't think a lot of agencies do a very good job of outlining what can be expected of them in the process. Right. right. So and again, I'm using agency, but I'm talking about insurance agencies. You know, my thing is this, I've never Believed in stewardship reports. They're handed out, you know, in the middle market all the time, as the incumbent agent gets ready to move toward renewal. And the whole the the vibe that I get from an a a um, stewardship report is here's a document with several pages that's going to give you all the reasons why I think you should hire me again next year. I'm telling you in arrears everything that I've done for you to justify my opportunity to represent you again next year. Our agency does that completely backwards. Like almost everything else we do, we flip the industry on its head. Instead of us doing that, we do a baseline risk assessment first that identifies all of the potential areas of risk, insurance or otherwise, inside of an operation. And then we put together a baseline risk assessment report and then a subsequent risk management action plan which is putting work clothes on the bullet points from the risk assessment report and assigning a deadline to it so that over the course of a year, every single one of our clients knows what we should have done up till this point, and we're updating that in real time. I see that as being extremely powerful in the proposal phase. If an agent says, here's all the things that the insurance does, but let's talk about what we're going to do to audit your experience modification factor for your workers' comp what we're going to do to make sure that your limits are the, are the correct limits based on the growth that you've had thus far. We want to review your return to work program for legal uh, compliance in your state. All of these things, put a date to it so that you can sign off on it when it's done. Now you don't have to issue a stewardship report at the end of the year because they can see what amounts to a laundry list of canceled tasks that you've gotten knocked out because you literally identified what needed to be done and created built-in accountability. I I don't know why that's not done more in the proposal process. And think about it this way, man. Like, I don't know. I, I think every one of us at some point or another, I'm sure there's people out there that have never had to buy a car in a car dealership. Right. But when I think about in a transaction that it should have been just Plainly transparent for as long as the day is, and yet you don't have any clue what's buried in that paperwork when you go to buy right. a car ever right, right. there's not there's nothing in there that says, "Hey, pay attention to me it's I'm going to buy my car, let me hurry up and sign and sign and sign and sign and sign to be done. But what's the first thing that we bring up if you're a consumer, it's nobody ever told me about that, but if right. I'm a salesperson, it's what well, it was right in your proposal, you didn't see that you signed it you didn't we got to get away from this whole using the proposal as a weapon to prove that we told somebody something when we didn't like do a really good job of explaining it right and start leaning into that and just make that as thorough as possible and here's for the agents out there that are listening to what I'm saying this is what I want you to think about if you write a $250,000 account and it's 10% commission for your agency $25,000 in revenue are you willing to spend 30 45 minutes an hour Writing a proposal, knowing you're interviewing for a job that's going to pay you $25,000 this year for about 20 hours worth of work, maybe. Like, how much more time would you be willing to invest when you look at it through that lens? Instead, we just try and get the quotes out and put into our proposal template and shoot it over as quick as we can because ultimately, we don't think people put any emphasis on the proposal when in reality, it's because we don't have anything for them to put emphasis on because it's nothing but price.
2: Yeah, yeah. I had an insurance agent once tell me. He said, uh, particularly looking at our tool, he said, "There, there's some leg work to be done to be done to get a attractive, a comprehensive proposal." And 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 over time, that go, it goes faster and it's easy, right? But initially, there's there's some there's some effort. Um, but if it increases my odds, he said something like, "Even by five percent, there's no freaking question here." Right. right. Even two, three percent, the amount of return I can get from that was huge. And so I I, you know, business is all about getting all the all the different disciplines in order. I, I like to think of business as kind of like being in a cavern. And when you start in business, it's this dark cavern. As, as you walk around, as you grow as a business owner, you're you're exploring, you're shining the, the light on the different rooms and the different details of the cavern. And proposal writing is often just one of those rooms. That is not exploring. It, it, it's it, you haven't thought critically about it, and so you're missing this low hanging fruit of a of a great proposal can can really make a big difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, you dealt with software as a service. I assume that you've got clients that are, are in SaaS, and it seems like when you go on LinkedIn and some of the other places, a lot of the sales gurus that you see out there come from that world where it's just, it seems like it's cutthroat, man. Like, I'm so glad that I do what I do. And it's something that people have that they have to have, not something that makes their life easier. They want because it makes it a little bit easier on the sales process side, but it just seems like those guys are constantly just facing a lot of the same issues we are in terms of, Just issuing proposal after proposal after proposal, which is the same as quote after quote after quote. When in reality, your proposals, if you're paying attention to the analytics that you can gain from a dynamic proposal that's web based, you should be refining your ideal prospect based off of how you see people interacting with that proposal. Like it helps you with top of funnel too. And I think that's the other thing, man. A lot of times as salespeople, we get so caught up in the fact we got the deal closed and we want to celebrate that, that we don't take the time to learn from it. And that's why I'm such a huge advocate of reflecting on the things that have made you successful in the past. If you think about it like a baseball player, you know anybody can get in a hitting slump at any given time. And you could even go to a hitting coach and they could adjust your swing and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. But what really makes the biggest difference is when you go back and you start watching tape and you look at how your batting stance was, you look at where your timing was, what was your grip on the bat? You know, was my lead foot open or closed or was it neutral? You know, all of those things. And then watching that tape and then trying to replicate that to bring you back to the same results. I think that we have so much intel that get that comes into our business just naturally through opportunities, whether won or lost we need to set aside time to review that stuff and say, okay, Hey, why did I win? You know, when we hire, when we work with someone here at my agency, they hire us by signing a letter of engagement. I don't just go to the insurance marketplace to quote business for people. That's what insurance salespeople do. And it's a horribly short sighted way for somebody to buy their insurance that way, because now you might have five or six agents competing on your business. None of them have ever asked you any real questions of substance other than fill this application out and let me get some information. And now they're going to represent what in most cases is someone's largest asset in the marketplace with the hopes that if something happens, it's going to be covered. When in reality, if they focused on closing, if they focused on being thorough, if they focused on educating. They could go in and and work with a third of those prospects, close right. a much higher percentage, and ultimately make more money. That's the whole pro- thought process behind slow down to speed up. People get activity confused with efficiency and productivity. They're not the same thing. You yeah. can do all kinds of crap to waste your time in business, man. It's just the way that it is. But unless you're actually generating revenue from those activities, and not just revenue but profitable revenue. Like I could write just because somebody wants to buy insurance for me doesn't mean I have to sell it to them. They may not be the right client for me. I'm not ever going to be the right person for a three employee silk flower shop in a strip mall. That's just not what my skill set is. It's not what my insurance markets are set up for. Nothing that I do says this is an ideal prospect for me. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to call on them intentionally. I'm not going to prospect. And if they were to reach out, I'm going to make sure that I have good referral sources for people who do represent the right companies, who do write smaller business and have that skill set that can make sure that they're taken care of. Maybe at some point, they're going to get me in front of one of their distributors or manufacturers, and that would be somebody that would be my client. But I think too many times, salespeople just have so much pressure on them to produce, they want to see that closed business number go up. But when you sit in the seat of the agency owner, Your prospect, your, your, your perspective changes considerably. I don't care if you wrote $200,000 worth of new business revenue, 2 million in premium. If you had 3 million in losses, like what does that do for me? It gets me out of bonus contention and everything else. And so again, if you guys take nothing else from this, if you slow down on your proposals and you put your best effort forward and you really put the sizzle on it, and somebody doesn't buy from you and you get irritated, good. You should because you have a lot invested into it at that point. And you need to step back and say, what could I have done better? What did I miss? But if you're just going to slap it, you know, slap it up, then you're not operating any differently than progressive or Geico or some of these others, where you're essentially calling a call center and having somebody sell you whatever you can afford.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a I have a free guide on our website at smartpricingtable.com and uh, it's called the profitable proposal blueprint and my my last tip so i've got five kind of secret tips in there my last one is continuous improvement i love this idea you know business is painful at times it's hard and the the longer you go the easier it should get because you you figure out what you're doing but i like to tell i like to tell my customers and and folks that i talk to take that pain and turn it around and codify that in your proposal process. When something goes wrong, that's your reminder. Something, something what maybe wasn't uh, uh, well or, or set up correctly in the proposal process. They, they misunderstood because I wrote it this kind of way. I, I described it in a way that wasn't helpful. Take those and then uh, uh, codify those learnings in your system um, so that you, you don't keep making the same uh, mistakes. I love another thing, David. I love. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the E Myth. Uh, it's classic, classic book. Um, yeah, E and E Myth Revisited, both. Yeah, yeah, I love that book. He he talks about um, so many people, like you know, kind of the ideas. Maybe I'm an electrician, and uh, my boss is a jerk, and so I quit my job, and I say my boss makes a lot of money. I'm going to go do my own ele- electrical company, and you get into it. And you find more and more, you're not actually doing the electrical work, you're buried um, yeah. in uh, in paperwork, you're buried in people's problems and you hate it. And what no one told you is you didn't actually need uh, to start your own company, you just needed to find a better boss, right? Yeah. Because business, being an entrepreneur, being a business owner is in a way kind of letting go of your trade a bit so that you can fall in love with building a business, building right. business systems. If you do that, if you slow down and focus, that'll pay dividends in all sorts of different areas.
1: Yeah. But some people just want to be the electrician and that's okay too, man. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Right. It's like some people never, like I, I look at this, you know, I own an agency. I think about this all the time though. Would I be happier if all I had to do was show up, produce and call it a day? Would I have to worry about my phone ringing on vacation or at nine o'clock at night or Five thirty in the morning or whatever else. No, I wouldn't because I would literally be like I was when I worked in retail. When I clock out at the end of the day, my problems stay behind. Now, granted, probably not because I'm a little more hands-on than that. But in all reality, there's nothing wrong with just wanting to be an employee. Yeah, a lot of people are perfectly cut out to do that. And again, you know, you used electrician as an example, but electrician, plumber, HVAC. You make pretty good money as an employee doing that stuff at this point because not enough people are going to school to know how to do it. We're going to be facing a crisis as a country here if we can't backfill the trades here before much longer.
2: Right. Yeah. I think the key there, the the point is is if you do have a business, you've got to you've got to realize that the that these systems are are crucial, right? Other, otherwise, you just business is not enjoyable. Um, the more you put, more invest in in, in things. The more you slow down, uh, the the more you're paving a brighter future or a smoother uh, smoother ride.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. The other thing you had mentioned before before we jumped on here, and I want to wrap up with this, is that people can get a demo of your dynamic software. Tell them where they can find that, please.
2: Yeah, I'm at smartpricingtable.com. Uh, again, I have a I have a free guide, the profitable proposal blueprint. But I also love doing demos and talking about a lot of the concepts that we've talked about on this podcast. Um, so even if it's tire kicking, uh, push that green button, and I'd love to connect with you.
1: Awesome. Sounds good. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate your time today. Unless there's something else you think we need to table, I'm ready to put a wrap on this one. I think we gave them plenty to think about.
2: Yeah, it's been a great t- It's been a great spending time with you, David. Thanks for having me.
1: You too. Absolutely. And we'll get this thing out soon and you will know as quick as it hits. I promise you everybody else. We'll catch you next time. See
0: ya. You've been listening to the power producers podcast. You can follow killing commercial insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, the extra two minutes and our website, killingcommercial.com